the end. Um, this is going to be the last vision that we get, are going to know that Daniel has. Um, this is why that's also very significant, is because we know it's one of his last. Um, the, he will be in his 90s at this point. And so um, he is an older gentleman. Now, it said that he probably wasn't in any kind of role at this point. He wasn't probably serving as a governor or anything like that. He was just being a citizen at that point. Um, now, Cyrus had already taken over. The importance of Cyrus is that he's going to be the one who releases the Jews to go back to Jerusalem. Not only does he do that, but he provides all the money that they need to do it to, for the rebuilding. So not only does he release them, he says, what do you need? He gives them back all the materials that um, were taken by Babylon, as in the gold, the silver, the things that belong to them. And then on top of that, he gives them resources to, to go back and rebuild Jerusalem. Um, that's why there's some people who feel called to be a Cyrus, which means they feel called to give money towards the kingdom or the... Be or towards Israel itself. Um, and so these roles, particularly in this role, was very God-given. Um, we had kind of talked about it. Cyrus will do this because um, Daniel is going to talk to him and say, hey, did you know that 500 years before you were born, your name was written in our holy book? And this is going to strike Cyrus's heart because he's going to be like, you know, what do you mean that something was written about me? And so he goes to the book of Isaiah. Um, he shows them the written where it says Cyrus, and it says what he will do, and basically, and he fulfills that prophecy because Cyrus held those things in high regard, that he was one who respected the gods. And because of that, when he sees that something has been prophesied about him, he makes sure it comes to pass. Not only that, he honors Daniel in the midst of all of this too. And Daniel, of course, we know will die in Babylon because really he's too old to make this pilgrimage. And at this point, he's lived a majority of his life at this place. He's encountered God here. And so it's not a place for him necessarily of refuge. It's actually been a place of encounter. And it's amazing how God can take your wilderness and make it a place of encounter and where you feel like it's just your wilderness. And God is so good to do that. He does that over and over and over again. That even in the midst of their times of wilderness, God always sends his voice. He always sends his presence. Um, it says in, um, oh, I can't remember what verse it is. It says that they come up leaning um, on him out of the wilderness. That's the point. There's four points about why we're in the wilderness. It says that they go into the wilderness to know that he is God, to come out leaning, and to basically destroy any other um, idols in your, their life. Really, the, the place for us, and it was the same for Babylon, was they, it's funny how God took them to a place filled with idols to remove the idols in their life. Because they saw that the things that they thought would satisfy them actually was their captivity, which is true for any human being. Is that the place that you think that might be the other source other than the source of life to bring fulfillment ends up being your bondage. So really, not only, because God could build Jerusalem wherever he wants. So yes, there is a physical location called Jerusalem to which God has set his holy hill, and that's the apple of his eye, the desire of his heart. Um, but really, wherever God is, Jerusalem is there. Do you know what I mean? Wherever God is, it's, it's like that famous saying is that wherever Jesus is, tis heaven there. You know, we sing that song. Wherever Jesus is, tis heaven there. So heaven isn't a place, it's really a person. It's really the presence of God. 
And so that's why when people go, well, I want to go to heaven, I go, so you want to go to Jesus? Well, no, I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to Jesus, I want to go to heaven. Well, you can't have one without the other. Wherever Jesus is, tis heaven there. That's why when Jesus came, his kingdom came. Um, Heaven came to earth, you know, um, when Jesus entered into this scenario. And so wherever Jesus is, tis heaven there. And so even in the midst of this Babylonian culture that he has lived his whole entire life, Daniel, in the midst of obstacles, in the midst of setting his face against the idols, it has actually been his place of refuge in the Lord, that he has been a signpost and that he is called beloved. He's not just called beloved by the people, but God himself calls him beloved. And so it shows to us, if we've learned anything in the book of Daniel, it's that even in this world in which we're foreigners living in it, we can have a refuge of heaven if God really does reside in us and we reside in him. We can resist culture. We can say no and set our hearts towards a pilgrimage in the midst of wherever we are. Because there is an innate thing in all of us is that I'm sure all of them thought, if I could just go back to Jerusalem, it would be blah, 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 blah. And God always had this heart to go back to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is the place of promise. I mean, God has anointed that place. You know, it's the place flowing with milk and honey. There is, there is a covenant that God has with that land that he has made, and he never breaks any of his covenants, not once. And so that is the place where there is a, a divine providence that God's blood to this day is in the ground. I mean, just to even seal the covenant even more that he will do what he says he will do, that he will accomplish what he says he will accomplish. So for the Babylonians, they probably, or for the Jews in Babylonia, they probably thought if I could only go back to Jerusalem, things were better there. But Daniel is a signpost that you don't have to necessarily go back to Jerusalem to have heaven, to encounter the Lord, for your situations to be different, for God not to meet you where you are. And that should be a signpost to all of us to this day that no matter where we are, no matter what our situations are, no matter what we're facing, is that we have a God who is always with us, who will always respond and always encounter us if we set our hearts not towards a land, but towards him. And so this is, this is our whole life is that, you know, if we're, we're setting our, ourselves towards something else, we, God will also give us, it's like taking us to Las Vegas to find out once we've spent our money and we've spent our resources that in the end it left us unsatisfied. This is what's happened to them. They were cursed for what they did, but in the midst of it, God's graciousness was for them and how God always does. He, get, he gives the people what he wants. We see this also with David and, when, and Saul, is that when they cried out for a king, he gave the people what they wanted. And when the man fell, and, and when Saul was not what needed to happen, really, God said, let me show you my choice. And so a lot of times God will give us the cry of our hearts to let it fail to show us what's actually the desire of his heart for us. And some people go, well, that seems cruel. But let's be honest. We, as humans, we fight for what we want until we get it. And I think God gives it to us so that we can run out its course at times to see what it really is doing to us in the end. But the good thing about God is that he's always faithful and just, that even in the midst of doing that, he always supplies the promise like a David in the midst of it. Because he will always show us what is really what we're supposed to have compared to the thing that we thought we should have that really fails us in the end. He's always faithful not just to let us fall, but to show us the promise. And so this is going to be, um, Cyrus will be the promise. 
in a lot of ways. He's going to be like a David. He's going to, he's going to release them. He's going to supply the money. He's going to do all these things. And Daniel is now in his 90s at this point in this kingdom. So we're going to read through 10, and then we're going to go through a little. There's going to be some things I cover um, because there's so much detail. Um, I'm not going to be able to cover all of it. But we are going to go through some things that I feel are important. One of them is that we're going to go through chapter 10, 11. We're going to not, we're not going to go through all of it, but we'll, we'll talk about it. So um, I'm reading out of a different translation, the today's English version. So yours will read different. But we're going to start in verse 1 of, of Daniel 10. In the third year that Cyrus was emperor of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, who was also called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but extremely hard to understand. It was explained to him in a vision. At that time, I was mourning for three weeks. I did not eat any rich food or any meat, drink any wine, or comb my hair until the three weeks were past. Now people go, did Daniel live the Daniel fast his entire life? This shows us no, that he did give himself to meats and stuff at the time, but there was periods of time that when he fasted, he fasted himself from these things. Because if he's going to withhold them from them, then obviously it wouldn't be a fast if you were already, it'd be like me going, I'm going to fast from fish. I hate fish. I don't eat fish. So it's not really a fast for me. So, um, so he's going to not eat any of this rich food, drink any wine, um, or comb his hair until three weeks were passed. He's really going all in into this fast, especially thinking at 90 years old. And um, he was probably really hungry. I was thinking about my grandpa. My grandpa loved to eat. So in his 90s, so I'm thinking this was real. When a 90-year-old person fasts, it's a real deal, you know. Um, on the 24th day of the first month of the year, I was standing on the bank of the mighty Tigris River. I looked up and saw someone who was wearing linen clothes. Now, when we're going to go through this, I want you to get the imagery. And I want you to think about what we've talked about, if this sounds familiar in any way. Okay, I looked up and saw someone who was wearing linen cloths um, and a belt of fine gold. His body shone like a jewel. His face was as bright as a flash of lightning, and his eyes blazed like fire. His arms and legs shone like polished bronze, and his voice sounded like the roar of a great crowd. Now, at that moment, like thinking about, remember when we um, went through Daniel 7 and we compared it to Revelation 1? Um, and we looked at like what the mighty, what the ancient of days, the son of man, and then compared it to revelation one. Does this sound familiar at all? I mean, this is almost exactly revelation one, the descriptions of Jesus. So many people believe that right here, Daniel is the first one to see the transfigured Jesus. Could you imagine? Now, it's hard for us because most people think, well, wasn't, didn't Jesus come later? Does, what, what does this mean about Jesus? Jesus always was. Jesus always was. Jesus, it says that he was slain before the foundations of the earth. That means that even when God was doing it, time is so different for God that Jesus had already been crucified in some ways, that he had already taken that punishment, that he had already been transfigured that he had already gone to that place in time and done it, even as we go back and he recreates the world. It blows my mind. I can't really wrap my head around it. If you ask me how that works, I don't know because I'm not God, and I can't wait to hopefully have him explain what time looks like to him. Um, Because God can do all kinds of stuff. I mean, talk about time travel. I mean, God could change. If he wanted, he could go back and change the world right now, and we wouldn't know the difference. We wouldn't know that he actually changed the timetable. We wouldn't. 
you know, but God can do whatever he wants. And the fact that he actually allows us to make choices and not do that is actually super huge. The only thing that he interjects in time is himself coming to die on a cross for the people. That's, that's the one time we really see him interject into the timetable for our freedom. That's very amazing when you really think about it. Um, that shows that he can be all powerful and all good. And so, and I'm saying that because I watched Superman Donna versus Batman Donna Justice the other day. <laughs> and, and, I, and Lex Luthor said, there can't be a God who, he's either can be all powerful or all good, but he can't be both. And I, I literally looked at the screen and I went, that's a lie, he can. Because I thought that this point shows it, shows it all, all together is that he can be all powerful and all good because he doesn't impose his will in the way that he could have. And that he could, you know, because he, he's into the relationship with us and into the journey with us more above his own power. And that says something that when someone lays down their own power for you, who has no power, and then he gives you his power. That's something that shows that he can be all good and all powerful. Take that, Lex Luthor. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I, and I love it. It says, I was the only one who saw the vision. Those who were with me did not see anything, but they were terrified, ran, and hid. Talk about the presence of the Lord coming and filling the room, and that no one else can see it but Daniel. I mean, think, I mean, he's setting his heart. He's in this fast. I don't know how many people were in this room at this time. Who knows? You know, who knows if it was his fellow friends? Who knows if it was... Um, you know, other governors or who knows who it was. But I love that God comes and he's going, I'm coming for Daniel. And in the midst, they feel, though they don't see it, they feel the heaviness of the weight when the God of glory comes and enters the room. And they ran and hide, ran and hid. Um, those who were with me, of course, didn't say, see anything. I was left there alone watching this amazing vision. I had no strength left and my face was so changed that no one could have recognized me. I always think, what was that like? I mean, how did he even know that his face had changed? You know, um, when I heard his voice, I fell to the ground, unconscious, and lay there face down. Then a hand took hold of me and raised me to my hands and knees. I was still trem- trembling. The angel said to me, Daniel, God loves you. Stand up and listen carefully to what I am going to say. I have been sent to you. When he had said this, I stood up trembling. Now, it says here an angel, but really in the Hebrew, it just says a man, one like a man. Um, and so different translations have taken it because they personally don't think that Jesus could have transfigured. So I'm saying that to you because really in the original one, it was one like a man. Um, and so and he's going to even see that it was one like a man. Um, then Daniel said... Then, then, Daniel, then he said, Daniel, don't be afraid. God has heard your prayers ever since the first day you decided to humble yourself in order to gain understanding. I have come in answer to your prayer. The angel prince of the kingdom of Persia opposed me for 21 days. Then Michael, the chief of angels, came to help me because I had been left there alone in Persia. I have come to make you understand what will happen to the people in the future. And this is, is a vision about the future. Now, so I've been asked, well, why, if God is God, why couldn't he just fight this by himself? I will be honest, I don't know, because God really is all-powerful. This is pre-cross. Even though he was slain, I mean, I don't think that he had the name above every name in which conquered. 
you know, in that regard. But I, I do not know. Um, but I love that we're going to see that as soon as he set his face there, like we talked about that last week, um, that as soon as it was like, as soon as he set his heart, you know, last week it was when before, like right when the word came out of your mouth, there is something that happens that is an encouragement to us that as soon as we set our hearts and that we set our voice towards heaven, heaven is always responding. And that we know that there are principalities and powers that do sometimes delay the response. That even God himself had this delay that he couldn't necessarily come, but he had to have angelic help for this message to come, you know? And it could have been that there was so much warfare because Jesus is revealing himself before even his assigned time. I mean, there's something happening that's so supernatural, but, but it assures us that as soon as you set your heart, when you go to your prayer time, when you go and you say those simple prayers and you think, you know, we always say, if you say five second prayers a day, how much, if they're full of faith, if they're full of your heart, how much those make a difference? Because it shows us it's not about the length. It's about when you set it in your heart, when you set it in your mouth, you know, when you say help. You know, that's enough for God to come and respond to it. You don't have to say help 20 times. You can say help once. If your heart is set towards him, he will respond. There might be warfare, but he will respond. This gives us faith and assurance that God is always answering because the enemy tries to tell us all the time that God does not hear our prayers, that God is not responding, that God is far off because we're not seeing it sometimes in our time frame. And this shows us that sometimes our time frame is hindered by warfare. Sometimes what's happening isn't that God is saying no, is that there is warfare over your yes. There's warfare over the answer over your life. And that God wants us to stay believing that, that when he responds, he's always going to respond. And we always pray, God, break through. Break through. Because he will always send his angels. He will always send the help so that his answer comes. There's never a time God gives up. If it takes him 21 days, it will take him 21 days. But God will never give up his yes over you. When you set your heart and that can assure us that God is never going, well, this is too hard. I fought him. I got weary. I decided to go back. Good luck. You know, God will always fight your battles for us. He will always go and do that for us. Um, Then we look at, um, I have come to you to make you understand what will happen to your people in the future. This is a vision about the future. That's verse 14. It says, when he said this, I stared to the ground speechless. Then the angel who looked like a human being reached out and touched my lips. I said to him, sir, this vision makes me so weak. I cannot stop trembling. I am like a slave standing before his master. How can I talk to you? I have no strength or breath left in me. Once more, he took hold of me and I felt stronger. He said, God loves you. So don't let anything worry you or frighten you. Now, if you need to write that down, write that down. If you, if you ever need assurance that God loves you and is fighting for you, write that down. Because I love it. And this applies not just to Daniel, but to you. God loves you. So don't let anything worry or frighten you. Do you have worries? Do you have fears? God loves you. Let that, let that be your verse for the week. Let that be your verse for the month. Write it on your heart. Let it be a life verse for you. But let your heart know God loves you. Do not worry and do not be afraid. When he said this, I felt even stronger. Wasn't that? And he said, sir, tell me what you have to say. You have made me feel better. <laughs> I love the simplicity of that. Tell, speak. 
Because what you've already said has strengthened my heart. And that's why we look to his word and we can be strengthened and encouraged that no matter what we're fighting, when he speaks, it's strength to us. When he says he loves us, it's strength to us. He said, do you know why I came to you? It is to reveal to you what is written in the book of truth. Now I have to go back back and fight the guardian angel of Persia. After that guardian angel of priests will appear, there is no one to help me except Michael, Israel's guardian angel. He is responsible for helping and defending me, and that's why I'm going to tell what I'm going to tell you is true. I love I love that. So we're gonna we're gonna stop there for a minute um, because right now we are gonna go into a time period called the years of silence. Why it's called the years of silence? Because we, from the time of Malachi until the time of Matthew, there's going to be 500 years where it says that the Lord did not speak. What's interesting is that he does, and most people didn't recognize it. Um, Daniel 11 actually details from the time of Gre- from the time of Persia, because it says he's going to go to the time of Greece. That well, for one, if it shows us anything, is that there's principalities and powers that rule over nations. Um, we can be assured of that, um, that every single nation, I mean, I don't know if you guys have ever gone to a different country, but when you go into a different country, there is a shift in the atmosphere that feels very different. And some people go, well, it doesn't feel like America. Yes, it doesn't feel like America. It's a different culture. But sometimes you even experience the different principalities and powers of that, of that place. And it's the same true of states. You know, sometimes I've gone to a different state and I'm like, whoa, what is different? And it can be in the state, even though it's, we're all the United States, there's something different about the atmosphere. Or I don't know if you've gone into an atmosphere and it feels so free <laughs> or light and you're like, man, it's like when you go to church and there's something that switches in the atmosphere and you go, man, there must be angels here. There must be something because the burdens I came in now are light because you know that there's, there's angelic forces at work. That's, that's true of every nation. Um, America has its own, you know, um, and each one that we have. But God is, is always working to go through those things to, to bring his kingdom into every nation and tongue. And that is going to be the truth. That's why when we go to every nation, every tongue, we have good news because it doesn't matter what principality or power holds a person's life, God has broken every single chain. And so and that assures us even to the strongholds in people's life that we know and that we love is that that's why, you know, some person might deal with this issue and some person might deal with a different issue, but the word of the message of the good news applies to both because the both have set them free, that every single person can know that Jesus has fought for them and died for them. Now, in these 500 years of silence, God, Jesus is about to give to him 500 years to which has happened um, between the time of Malachi and the time of Matthew. And so this is, I'm going to show you guys this because I'm not going to, I'm actually not going to go into um, Daniel 11 very much at all. Um, (laughs) These are from verse four to the end are going to be the different rulers that he's going to go into detail that rule over the time of history. Now, why is this important? I know it's very hard to see. um, And I can always send this to you if you really do want it. Um, And he's going to talk about the North and the South, North and the South, North and the South, King of the North, King of the South, the in the North. Because he is showing them that even though these governmental rulers rule and reign, that God is still in the midst, 
that God is still ruling and reigning in the midst of these oppressive powers that are going to come into the scene. That there's going to be continual warfare between the kings of the north and the kings of the south with Israel in the middle. And, and so that's why it's like, well, why are these people important? Because Israel will be caught up in the middle of every single one of them. But God is going to come in the midst of all this um, and, until Jesus comes. But there is going to be the rise of a little horn. And that is, these are all kind of like prequels unto the Antichrist coming. So that's why this is important. Um, at the end of verse 11, or chapter 11, sorry, um, it says that he, it talks about how um, Egypt and all these different countries will be involved and that he's going to set up his royal tents between the sea and the mountain where the temple stands. Um, and so there's all this language that's important. If you want to know more about the Antichrist, um, that is that. And so this is, let me get to the next one. So this is going to be the map of the Antichrist conquest, which is Syria, um, definitely below um, Iraq, um, into Egypt, but Ammon, which is Jordan, Moab, and Edom, which is all in that Jordan area, they're actually going to be the number one um, per people protecting Israel. Um, it actually says they're the only ones in scripture we actually see protecting Israel at this point. And um, Isaiah 18 talks about Jordan's pro um, Jordan is always going to be blessed because of its protection of Israel, even into the end times. Um, is, it's Isaiah 18 and 19. It goes into that. So even in this, it's basically saying that they're going to be spared, um, and they're actually going to be people who rally around, rally around Israel. So um, in those verses, if you look in verse 11, it talks about he will invade many countries like a flood. He will invade the promised land and kill tens of thousands. But the countries of Edom, this is verse 41, Edom, Moab, and what is left of Ammon will escape. So that's a part of that, and that's a part of God's promise to them in Isaiah that they would not be overran. Okay, so let's go to verse 12. And um, this is a little bit of the little horn time of prophecy because he's going to go into time times half a time, and I'll talk about that in a minute, um, and then we'll close out. The angel wearing linen clothes said at that, at that time, the great angel Michael who guards your people will appear. There will be time of troubles, the worst since nations first came into existence. When that time comes, all the people of your nation whose names are written in God's book will be saved. Many of those who have already died will live again. Some will enjoy eternal life and some will suffer eternal disgrace. The wise leaders will shine with all brightness of the sky. And those who have taught many people to do what is right will shine like stars forever. He said to me, and now, Daniel, close the book and put a seal on it until the end of the world. Meanwhile, many people will waste their efforts trying to understand what is happening. Then I saw two men standing by a river, one on each bank. One, on, um, one of them said to the angel who was standing further upstream, how long will it be until these amazing events come to the end? The angel raised both hands towards the sky and made a solemn promise in the name of the eternal God. I heard him say, it will be... Three and a half years, well, time, time, and half a time. When the persecution of God's people ends and all these things will have happened. I heard what he said, but I did not understand it. So I asked, but sir, how will it all end? He answered, you must go now, Daniel, because these words are to be kept secret and hidden until the end comes. Many people will be purified. Those who are wicked will not understand, but they will go on being wicked. 
Only those who are wise will understand. From the time the daily sacrifices are stopped, that is from the time to the awful hair, um, awful horror, this is also the abomination of um, desolation, 1,290 days will pass. Happy are those who remain faithful until 1,335 days are over. And you, Daniel, be faithful to the end. Then you will die, but you will rise to receive your eternal award at the end of time. Oh, what a wonderful promise to Daniel. So um, people go, okay, what's time, time, and half a time? So time equals one year times two years, half a time, three years. In the Jewish calendar, they do not do 365 years. So people go, how does that equal 1,260? They go on a 360-day year calendar. Now, what do they do the extra five days of the year? I do not know because I'm guessing they just start over and it's a different year for them. Um, than opposed to it is for us. I really do not know how that works. But um, because at that time they did a 360-day year calendar, um, the 1260 makes sense, will make sense if you go by that. Um, and so then he says, blessed are those who last a certain even longer amount of time. And I'm guessing these are those who survived the tribulation, um, which blessed are those. <laughs> blessed are them extremely much. But this is why we're going to see this little horn time prophecy. But even in the midst of this, God is, is showing that he, even though these things will happen, that he is in control. And I think that if we learned anything, and hopefully if you learned anything from this, is that no matter how dark the times are, is that God is in control. He is sealing his people. He is with his people. He will never forsake his people. And that's really the promise to all of us. You know, um, I, I don't have time and don't have the time to go deeper into Revelation today as it, as it relates to Daniel, but especially in Daniel 11, which is a lot of where people get, if you hear people talking about time frames or um, the Antichrist, Daniel 11 at the end is going to be where they find it, where he goes into this little horn who we've seen before um, in Daniel 8 and all that as well. Um, but we also know that God is giving us, for one, thank God there's a time frame. Could you imagine that if it was longer than what it was? Because really there'll be three and a half years of peace, and then there's going to be three and a half years of complete tribulation. Um, even God in his mercy, even though I don't want to, even though it would be false peace, let's just be honest, the fact that God is only allowing three and a half years of, of true tribulation where he's going to pour out the bulls and that he's going to, because people go, well, the Antichrist are doing this. But in Revelation, if you look, he's opening the seals. He's releasing the bulls. He's sounding the trumpets. This is what God is doing in the redemption for us. And so, so many people are fearful of an Antichrist, but really, God's doing a lot more than what this guy's going to do to humanity. I mean, really, when you look at it, I mean, he's, a third of the earth is going to be killed off. I mean, talk about Exodus on a whole new scale, you know? Um, could you, can you imagine what that will even be like? Um, it's going to be insane. But God is doing this out of his judgment and out of his mercy and out of his kindness. And believe me, wicked will be wicked as wicked can be. But it's, it's um, I, don't, I didn't read it, but it says at the end that knowledge is always going to be increasing. And I think that's a sign to us even today as knowledge continues to increase and all these things are all leading unto him returning. And so um, in conclusion, in conclusion, is that if anything we've learned from this is, of course, that he's always with us. 
how prayer is, is always our weapon and, um, and how God always responds to our prayers. But also that he has given us signs to know the times. And just like we talked about, he doesn't want us to be unaware. He wants us to recognize what's happening around us so that we can be a signpost to everybody else that, you know what, these things are happening, but it's because Jesus is doing something that really is going to be with him forever, where really his dominion will know no end. I thank God that his dominion will know no end. The Antichrist has seven years, but my God, his kingdom will know no end. He will rule and reign forever, and every tribe and every tongue and every nation will describe him as Lord, and they will all come to the holy hill. My Isaiah 2 is my favorite. I love it. It says all the nations will stream to Jerusalem to learn from him, to go to him and to be and and to worship him as their God. And that's where we see this continual worship in Revelation where it says, even as he's pouring out the bowls and all these things are happening, there's songs in heaven going great and marvelous are your works, O Lord. Can you imagine if it was a time of sorrow, they would be weeping, but they actually go before. I love it when they come before Jesus and they go, when will you? Because they're basically saying, you're still not giving them enough. You know, they're going, God, our blood has been shed. When will you provide justice? And he continues to do it by sword after sword. And then we see Jesus come and he comes out of Edom, which is really funny to me because he's going to come out of Edom, out of Jordan. And if you know where Jordan is, I got, I was so blessed to go there. You can see at the top of um, the Garden of Gethsemane, you can see Jordan and you can see that the Garden of Gethsemane looks right at that eastern wall that's been sealed up and all the graves are in front of because they think, you know, of course they did it because they thought if the, the Messiah comes, he cannot touch the dead. For the Jewish God, they cannot touch the dead. This was a situation that went all the way back when we see it with Samson. When he even touches the dead carcass of a lion, people were really concerned about that because they're not supposed to touch any dead thing. But you see that this is going to be where Jesus comes through. And I think about when Jesus was at that garden praying, your will be done. If he didn't look over at that gate, knowing it was going to be sealed up and knowing that he was going to come back again. And it says, who is this with garment stained red in Isaiah? Because he's going to be soaked in the blood of his enemies. I mean, that's intense that he's going to come with a sword himself. And I'm thinking every cool movie I've ever seen with someone with a sword will be incomparable. But to think God will slay the wicked himself, that he will hear the cry of the martyrs, and that he will come riding on that white horse, but he's going to step up. And I love it. He's not going to ride all the way through. It says he walks. God walks from Jordan with his sword, and all the nations are going to come against him, and he will strike his sword, and their blood will be all over his garments as he takes his rightful place. That is some intense language. But you know what? How cool. I mean, really, how cool. Because God is the rightful king. And no wicked principality of Persia and no wicked intentionality of the demonized heart can stop him from having his rule and his reign forever and ever and ever. And I imagine that we will be all there welcoming him home and going, great and marvelous are your works, O Lord. That is the book of Daniel setting it all up for his triumphal entry. When he comes, not riding on a donkey, but riding on a horse, and his name is written faithful and true. It's, it moves me. So, so that, thank you for letting me take you through this book. It's one